Comic book, comic book, does whatever a book does. Read by us while drinking, incoherent rambling. Look out, this is our podcast. Welcome to the SJW Comic Book Club, a weekly book club style podcast where three friends discuss a story arc or event in comics from a modern and progressive point of view, or at least usually. This episode is going to be a bit different with just me, Monte. As we talked about in our season three finale, I'm going to start posting bonus episodes once a week about specifically the X-Men as I read through all of the X-Men stories that Marvel has to offer, or at least most of them. This is just a way for me to provide a little more content for you guys and also a way for me to get the X-Men out of my system for our normal episodes. They're my favorite superhero team by far, and they were my introduction into the world of comic books and superheroes, so I'll never get tired of reading their stories or talking about them. And there are definitely a lot of stories to read, so I'll just go ahead and get started. For the first few episodes, I'm going to be reading stories from the 60s that have a major character debut or some kind of uh, major introduction of some kind. And this is basically because I'm not a huge fan of the stories in the 60s, so I kind of just want to get through them as quickly as possible. For this episode, I'm going to start from the beginning. Uh, I read X-Men number one, X-Men numbers four through five, The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, X-Men numbers 12 through 13, The Origin of Professor X, and Where Walks the Juggernaut, and then also X-Men numbers 14 through 16, which are Among Us Stalk the Sentinels and Prisoners of the Mysterious master mold. Uh, So I've got a lot to talk about and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So starting with X-Men number one, which is just titled X-Men, the cover date for this is September 1963, and it was written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby. This story has the introduction of Professor X, the original five X-Men who are Cyclops, Angel, Beast, Iceman and Marvel Girl or Jean Grey, and then also the introduction of Magneto, who is like the X-Men's banner villain the most important villain in the x-men stories in this story magneto is attacking a military base um that houses a bunch of missiles and he's basically trying to take it over so that he can use that military hardware to conquer the world this really introduces the concept of mutants as a different species from humans and also the concept of the fact that they're is tension between mutants and humans. So it's a really great introduction into the world of X-Men because that's basically what the X-Men are about. Despite that, this story isn't necessarily an introduction into the X-Men as we know them. Uh, The X-Men in this story are a little more bland, a little more generic. They really resemble the other teams that were active at the time or the other team that was active at the time, the Fantastic Four. And Stanley said that basically the reason that he wanted to create the X-Men and the concept of mutants is because he felt that people were, were going to get tired of having to read origin stories over and over and over again. You know, Spider-Man gets bit by a spider, the Hulk is created by gamma radiation, the Fantastic Four by cosmic radiation. He didn't want to keep having to write these origin stories, so he thought, if he created the concept of mutants, which don't necessarily have origin stories, that would make things a bit easier for him to write these stories. So even though we think of the X-Men as allegory for 
racism or homophobia or whatever it is, that's not necessarily why they were created. They were really created as a sort of shortcut to writing so that Stan Lee could create a bunch of new superheroes without having to come up with their origin stories. Uh, as I said before, the story does introduce the idea that there's tension between humans and mutants. However, in this story, that tension comes mostly from the mutant side, or the aggression comes mostly from the mutant side through the character of Magneto. He believes that mutants are superior to humans and should rule over them, so he's attacking for that reason. You don't really get much of a sense of bigotry from humans to mutants, which in the future is going to be the biggest driver of the tension between mutants and humans. In terms of the way that the story's drawn, the artwork is pretty good. Jack Kirby's pretty great at drawing in the style of the 60s. But the character design is a little bit flat, and like I said before, as with the characterization, it's a little bit generic. There's not really a whole lot that differentiates the different members of the X-Men between each other other than, you know, Jean Grey is a girl, so she's the girl on the team. But the other X-Men, they're basically just a bunch of white guys, like Beast has big feet, and Angel has wings, and Iceman a lot of times enters into his, you know, snowy ice form. But other than that, there's not a lot of visual cues that set them apart. They're all wearing the same outfits, the same color. So it's basically, again, very similar to the Fantastic Four. There's not a whole lot that sets them apart from the Fantastic Four as a team. But all that being said, it is a pretty great story. And it's obviously important to read because it's how the X-Men were introduced. So for that reason, it's a pretty fun thing to read. And I would definitely you know, suggest if you want to read the X-Men, you kind of have to read their debut because you have to see, you know, how they came about. And it's only one issue, so it's pretty easy. So moving on to the next story, which is X-Men numbers four through five. These issues were written in March of 1964 and May of 1964. So it's a bit of a jump forward, but not that much. This story, these stories were also written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby. And they have the introduction of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, specifically the characters Mastermind, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Toad. Of those characters, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are definitely the two that are the most important. Uh, they'll go on to be Avengers and have a really big impact on the Marvel Universe as a whole, especially the Scarlet Witch. But Mastermind and Toad are in there too, and they're important to X-Men stories at least. In this story, the Brotherhood takes over the Central American country of Santo Marco under the leadership of Magneto. After the X-Men foil their plans there, they attack the X-Men at the mansion while Jean Grey's parents are there for a visit. The introduction of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is, again, another story that introduces tension between mutants and humans because the Brotherhood, under the leadership of Magneto, wants to conquer humanity. They believe that mutants are superior. So again, you don't really see a whole lot of the bigotry coming from humans. It really seems to be coming mostly from mutants. There are some vague references to the danger that humans pose to mutant kind, but other than those vague references there's not anything concrete that causes you to think that there's a lot of bigotry against mutants within society and this is especially true because all of the characters at this point that we've been introduced to who are mutants they basically look like humans beast has his big feet and angel has his wings and toad is a little bit grotesque looking kind of but for the most part they just look like normal people in weird clothes the brotherhood of evil mutants is visually a little bit more interesting than the X-Men are, like they all have different costumes. You can definitely tell the difference between them, but 
even then, they're still just a bunch of white people. They don't look any different than a normal human would. With the introduction of Jean Grey's parents, this is also the first time that we see the fact that the, the Xavier Institute or the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, as it's called at the time in a very old-timey kind of way, is secret from the rest of the world. So Jean Grey's parents don't know necessarily that the school is a front for the X-Men. They don't know even that Professor Xavier is himself a mutant, and neither does the rest of the world. So this introduces the idea of the school as being secret and the rest of the world not knowing about it. And that kind of does suggest you know if it's secret there has to be a reason and that does suggest that there's some anti-mutant bigotry but i would say overall the theme of this story as well is a group of mutants wanting to use their powers to take over the world it's not necessarily about even necessarily protecting mutants from uh, humans as becomes central to magneto's character in the future and as becomes central to the x-men in the future as well so this story again it's drawn by jack kirby it looks good and it's written by Stan Lee, and it's a very competent story. Uh, it wraps up pretty quickly, and it gets its themes across, even though you can definitely still tell that the X-Men are a group of characters that are in development. There's a little bit of a little bit of a generic feel to the way that they're that they're written. So the next story that we have is X-Men numbers 12 through 13, The Origin of Professor X and Where Walks the Juggernaut. These stories came out in July of 1965 and September of 1965, or rather that's their cover date, not necessarily their release date, uh, but that's the publication date. The stories were written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby, Alex Toth, and Jay Gavin. And these stories show the introduction of the, the Juggernaut and the origin story of Professor X. A lot like Magneto, the Juggernaut becomes a really iconic X-Men villain. And then later on in the stories, he becomes a bit of an anti-hero. So he follows kind of the same path of Magneto, where he, in the early stories, he always appears as an antagonist. He's always causing destruction and harm. And then in later stories, they sort of explore his character a little bit more and give him some redeeming story arcs and have him walk that line between hero and villain. Uh, it also gives the origin story of Professor Xavier, so we get to see how Professor Xavier grew up, his backstory of how his powers have impacted his life, as well as how the Juggernaut's powers have impacted his life. And, oh, Juggernaut and Professor X are actually stepbrothers. So Professor X's father was killed in uh, what appears to be a lab accident, but also it's probably Juggernaut's father that caused him to die or murdered him and then professor x's mother married juggernaut's father so they became uh stepbrothers and there's always been a ton of enmity between them juggernaut was always jealous of professor xavier growing up he always seemed to feel that professor xavier was better than him and that everyone else thought that they were better than him that their parents even juggernaut's father loved professor x more than he did uh, juggernaut or his name is kane marco so loved uh professor xavier more than he loved kane and it caused a lot of enmity and resentment so basically the only reason that juggernaut is attacking the x mansion in this story is to get revenge on charles xavier he doesn't have any like 
political beliefs or anything like that. He literally just wants to hurt Xavier. And that's pretty much central to the Juggernaut's character for most of his early appearances. I think of the stories that I've read, this one is probably my favorite. It's not necessarily the most important, I guess, but uh, it's definitely the most fun. Like, at one point, they disable the Juggernaut sort of by... Uh, Jean Grey levitating him up into the air and then Cyclops blasting a hole into the floor so that he falls into the hole and then he's trying to climb out of the hole and Cyclops is blasting him and it's just it's it's a really fun story it's really goofy but then it does have stakes you know you have the emotional tension between uh, Juggernaut and Professor Xavier you have the obviously mortal danger that they're put in because Juggernaut is a very powerful character even if he's a little bit silly he's drawn and written a little bit silly uh, but he's still very powerful and very dangerous so i really like that it's basically what i read comic books for which is these goofy villains uh, but still you have the stakes in there so it's something that's important to read juggernaut is eventually taken down with the help of the fantastic forest human human torch so this is also the first time that we see the x-men really cooperating with another hero or another group of superheroes in this case it's just the human torch and he comes and helps get the juggernaut's helmet off which allows professor xavier to sort of mentally subdue him with his powers by the way the juggernaut's powers are that once he starts moving he can't be stopped um, and then also he's just really, really, really strong. He's one of the strongest characters in the X-Men stories. But Juggernaut himself is not a mutant. He gets his powers from the Sidorak Gem, uh, which is a mystic enhancement. He's basically the avatar of a demon, and that's why he has all of this strength. So that's another kind of aspect of the story and the tension between Juggernaut and Professor X, which is that Charles Xavier was born with all this power. It's inherent to him, whereas Juggernaut had to acquire his power and he got it from someone else. It's not necessarily a part of him. Uh, he's a conduit for someone else's power. So that's an interesting thing that is explored in later stories, not necessarily this one. Uh, but it's still, you know, a really fun story. It's really cool to see Professor Xavier's background. And then it's also just hilarious to see Juggernaut climbing out of a hole while he's being blasted uh, by Cyclops. So the last story that I read was X-Men numbers 14 through 16, Among Us Stalk the Sentinels and the Prisoners of the Mysterious Master Mold. Uh, these stories were published from November 1965 up to January 1966, and they were written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby and Jay Gavin. Um, and by the way, all of this takes place during the time that Stan Lee is the editor-in-chief of Marvel. So this is all during his uh, run as editor-in-chief. This story has the introduction of the Sentinels when the Sentinels attack a televised debate between Professor Xavier and their creator, Bolivar Trask. The Sentinels basically want to enslave humankind because they believe that machines are superior to both mutants and humans. So this story is really iconic because the Sentinels are the quintessential villain of the X-Men. Uh, if Magneto is the representative of mutant hatred towards humans and mutant, mutant resentment of humans, the Sentinels are kind of the symbol 
of humanity's fear and hatred and oppression of mutants. And that's why this story is so important. As I talked about before, a lot of the early stories written before this one showed bigotry from mutants to humans and mutants attacking humans, but not necessarily the other way around. And in this story, we actually see the Sentinels as this symbol of hatred, violence, and oppression towards mutants. Uh, they're basically genocide robots that are created to destroy mutant kind by Bolivar Trask, who is a human bigot who wants to uh, make sure that mutants don't replace humans and destroy them eventually. So the Sentinels kidnap Bolivar Trask uh, because the Master Mold, which is the main Sentinel that he created that has the ability to create other Sentinels, he wants Bolivar to create or he wants Bolivar to teach him how to create these Sentinels on its own, on his own so that Master Mold doesn't have to have the inputs from Bolivar Trask. He can just create an army of Sentinels and enslave the human race. Uh, Trask doesn't want to do this, obviously, because he, you know, he's pro-human. He wanted to create the Sentinels to destroy mutants, not to destroy humans or enslave them. So in the end, the X-Men attack the Sentinels in their sort of headquarters, and Bolivar Trask ends up helping the X-Men destroy uh, the Sentinels that he created. And I believe he dies in the process. He may come back in later stories i feel like he does but he may be gone for good as well i'm not really sure so we'll have to see in future stories whether or not he comes back again this is a story that really highlights the bigotry of some humans towards mutants and in the end it ends up being the threat to humankind that causes bolivar trask to work with mutants and that's something else that's kind of a recurring theme in the X-Men is having to work with your enemies towards a goal because of the, you know, bigotries and resentments that exist. A lot of times X-Men villains, the line between them being villains and being heroes is a little bit blurry. And this story kind of introduces the first very, very early versions of that because Bolivar Trask is still a massive asshole. And even though he sacrifices his life, he makes it pretty clear that he does, he's not doing it because he likes mutants or wants them to survive. He still wants them to be destroyed, but he just doesn't want humanity to be enslaved in the process. So the four of these stories are really important to read, uh, and they're really interesting. The 60s are a time when comics were really text-heavy, really dense, and kind of difficult to get through. That's one of the reasons that it's not necessarily my favorite era in comics. But that being said, the stories are written very neatly, very tightly. You know, they introduce their themes, their characters well, and they wrap up pretty quickly. Eventually, not necessarily in these stories, but eventually Stan Lee starts to work out individual personalities and individual character traits for each of the X-Men, each of the original five X-Men. And he's really building them into this team that's going to become iconic. So for that reason alone, I love these stories. I think that they're great to read. And I think at the end of each of these little bonus episodes, I'm going to rank the stories that I've read and create a sort of master list of uh, the X-Men stories to see which one is the best. The order for this one, I'm going to put X-Men number one at the top because even though it ne wasn't necessarily my favorite story to read, it is the probably the most important one that's on here. And it's also just really concise uh, and really well written you know it builds to a crescendo and resolves its resolves the problems that it brings up within just one issue which i think is really uh, good especially for the 60s which tend to meander a bit in their stories 
Ranked at number two is going to be X-Men number 12 through 13, The Origin of Professor X and Where Walks the Juggernaut. And that's just because, again, this story, these or these issues are so fun to read. They're probably they're probably the most goofy of the four that I read, but like that's what makes them good and makes them so endearing and what makes the character of Juggernaut so endearing too because he's just so he's he's such a fuck up and he's so silly but he's also really dangerous and and pretty scary if you think about him as a villain number three I'm going to put Among Us Stalk the Sentinels slash Prisoners of the Mysterious Master Mold uh X-Men numbers 14 through 16 and that's because of the introduction of the Sentinels and also the way in which Stan Lee is starting to uh, create independent and individual identities for each of the X-Men in this story. And then the last one, not because I think it's bad, but just because that's where I'm putting it on the list, is The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, X-Men numbers four through five. And that's probably just because of the stories that I read, this one is probably the most forgettable, even though it introduces really iconic characters. It's not one that you know, I'm necessarily going to revisit. Whereas I actually would reread The Origin of Professor X or Where Walks the Juggernaut for the interesting, fun things about it. Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, it's, you know, still interesting. The Brotherhood is very interesting villain team, but it's not necessarily the most memorable of the stories that I read. So that's it for this episode. I'm going to be recording one of these little bonus episodes each week, and hopefully you guys enjoy them. Also, we're still going to be releasing our main episodes on Wednesday, so you'll have two episodes a week, these bonus episodes on Monday, and then also the main episodes on Wednesday. For this week, our episode on Wednesday is going to be about the Magneto War, so it is a story of X-Men, but we had a really interesting conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. So thanks for listening, and goodbye! Goodbye!